Well, we began a new series last week that's really just kind of a series we're going to go through the entire summer called Tell Me a Story. And what we're doing in this particular series, I shared last week, I've wanted to do this for quite some time. There are just so many great stories that Jesus told in the New Testament, and so I wanted to just kind of take some time and just talk about some of the stories that Jesus told. Jesus was a master storyteller, and he seemed to tell a particular type of story. We call them parables, and we talked about this last week, that a parable is simply a story that has a deeper meaning. So oftentimes, uh, the, the parable teller would take everyday common life events and uh, would just wrap a story around that. And the intent was to have a deeper moral or spiritual meaning. And in Jesus' case, he kept trying to help people understand that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what I've come to establish. And this is what you're called into. And so he would tell these stories over and over again. Last week we talked about uh, the story of the, the wheat and the weeds. If you miss that, as always, you can go back and you can find that online. And we encourage you to do that. This morning, the parable that we want to look at is a really short one, but, and it's found in uh, Matthew chapter 15. And just to give you a little bit of context, there is this conflict that has developed between the religious leaders of the day and Jesus. And um, which, this is really interesting to me that there's this conflict that it, it exists in the first place because the very people who have been awaiting the Messiah... The, the ones who should have been the most excited when Jesus came, who should have been looking for Jesus, tend to be the most resistant to Jesus in this case. To the point that these religious leaders, wherever Jesus goes, they show up in, in order to somehow discredit him in the eyes of the people. And so this is the scene that's taking place here in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus is in this town called Genesaret, which is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, about 120 miles north of Jerusalem. And the religious establishment, which is headquartered in Jerusalem, has sent this official contingency, which is actually kind of like their version of a religious hit squad. And they've traveled by foot or donkey, uh, about 120 miles to where Jesus is. And the reason that they've come is they, they've come in order to confront Jesus about this very serious issue about why Jesus and his disciples don't always wash their hands before they eat. Come on, they weren't moms either. They had come to, to confront Jesus, 120 miles, think about that. Which for most of us probably seems kind of silly. I mean, sure, especially what we when we or what we've just come through with with COVID and everything. We understand that hand washing is a good idea. And, uh, however, I'm guessing that none of us would feel so strongly about hand washing that we would travel 120 miles by foot just to scold somebody because they didn't wash their hands properly. Probably nobody would do that, right? And the reason why is, for us, hand-washing is primarily uh, an issue of hygiene. However, for the first century Jew, hand-washing was a really big deal. And it was a big deal because, for them, it really was an issue of purity. It was an issue of being um, acceptable and presentable in the eyes of God. In fact, for them, many of them had come to believe that in order to even stand a chance with God, 
among a whole bunch of other things, they had to wash in a certain way. Now, uh, when, when Laura and I were in Jerusalem a couple of years ago at the Wailing Wall, we, we saw this take place, that this is still a belief for many Orthodox Jews. In fact, there at the Wailing Wall, there's a kind of a plaza area before you go down to the wall to pray, and right there, there is a hand-washing station. And, and you can't just wash your hands in any old way. In fact, there are specific regulations and stipulations about how a person is supposed to wash their hands. And so one of the ways that is acceptable is that uh, there is like this, this fountain and there are these little pitchers. And so they would take and fill the pitcher up and take with your, begin with your dominant hand and you be, would, would begin to wash from the fingertips and let the water roll down to your wrist. You do that on your dominant hand. Then you do the same thing on your non-dominant hand. And then you're to rub your hands together. And then you're to take again, fill the pit, pitcher up. And in order to rinse it, take your hands and put them down this direction and this time wash from the wrist to the fingertips and from the wrist to the fingertips and and, and so there's these regulations that don't just wash but you got to wash this way in fact I was reading this past week that in the the Mishnah which is the Jewish book of traditions there are something like a hundred and eight pages dedicated specifically to how to wash Wash your hands, wash your body, how to wash dishes and things like that. And while obviously, you know, there's nothing wrong with making things clean, we want things to be clean, but the problem was these religious leaders, what they had done was they had taken these traditions that they had developed about washing along with a whole bunch of other things and they had imposed these traditions as laws that if you broke any of these traditions then you would be violating the law which was a sin and therefore you would not be acceptable to God and so there were certain things you had to do and there were certain things that you could not do for example I was reading this past week and when it came to the Sabbath now uh, there was so many laws that revolved around the keeping of the Sabbath and so when it came to the Sabbath you couldn't do things on the Sabbath like look in a mirror and the reason why you couldn't look in a mirror is because when you when you saw yourself in the mirror maybe you would see a gray hair and you might be tempted when you saw that gray hair to pull the gray hair and pulling a hair out of your head would be considered work and you can't work on the Sabbath that's a sin and so there, there was a chance that you might sin so don't look in the mirror that, that looking in the mirror became the sin and, and then there were things like that went along with that like on the Sabbath you couldn't wear false teeth because I mean what if you were walking along and all of a sudden your teeth fell out of your mouth You'd be tempted to bend down and pick up your teeth, and picking up your teeth was considered work, and you can't work on the Sabbath. That's a sin, and so you'd be sinning, so don't wear your false teeth. And, and so there were all these kind of rules and regulations when it came to the Sabbath. I found this one very interesting, that on the Sabbath you could spit. So that's good to know. You could spit on the Sabbath. However, you had to be very careful where you spit. Because let's say that, you know, I spit and Brett accidentally stepped in my spit. And when he stepped, he ground my spit into the dirt with his sandal. Then technically he would be cultivating the earth and cultivating the earth is a sin. And so he would be in violation of the law and therefore he would be uh, not acceptable to God. And so there were all of these rules and regulations. Y'all hear that or is that just me? Good, I am so glad that you hear that. 
I have no idea what it is, but uh, if we see fire, run. No, just kidding. And so there were all of these, these rules, and they, you know, they, um, they had allowed their focus, and this was the problem, is they had allowed their focus to be more about rules than about relationship, which, which come on, let's be honest, we can fall into that same trap. In fact, in, in, in our human nature is we tend to gravitate towards rules. We like rules because there's order in rules. Um, rules are manageable, while relationships, on the other hand, are messy and unpredictable. We, we can manipulate rules, which is what they were doing. In fact, there was this one, uh, one example I read was, you know, it was, it was against the Jewish tradition or law to carry any kind of burden. And so let's say that Laura and I are in separate rooms of the house and she has a handkerchief and I need the handkerchief. It would be a sin for her to carry the handkerchief to me. However, what you could do is you could wear a handkerchief. So if she took that handkerchief and tied it around her neck and she came to me and then untied it and gave it to me, then that was acceptable. And so this is what these Pharisees were doing is they were, they, there was the law that they were imposing on the people, but they were finding all of these loopholes and these exceptions and they were manipulating the law. And, and not only that, they were, they were trying to use the law as, as a means of leverage, leverage against God. You know, God, if I do X, Y, and Z, then because I did this, you're obligated to do what I want you to do. You know, I followed the rules, and so God, you owe me. And, and I think what's important for us this morning as we sit here in our comfortable seats, as we, we, we watch this service online, I think what's important is that we don't fall into the trap of thinking, you know, those silly Pharisees, those, those silly, silly religious leaders. I mean, how could they be so silly to think that they could somehow manipulate God into doing what they wanted him to do? And instead, we need to humbly ask ourselves, is that me? Do, do I ever fall into that place where I'm the kind of person who, you know, I know all of the rules, I, I keep all of the rituals, I, I follow everything that I'm supposed to follow, but the truth is, my relationship with God is more about those rules than it is about love. Now, don't get me wrong. Obedience is important. We, we, we've been given instructions on how to live, and that's important. But there, there's a big difference between obeying out of duty and obeying out of delight. There, there's a big difference between obeying out of, you know, I really don't want to, but I have to in order to get what I want to get, than obeying out of relationship, out of out of, I just, I just love you, and I know that this is a way that I can express my love to you. It's kind of like this. I don't know. How, how many here are married today? Good. If you're here with your wife or your husband, both of you should raise your hands and just, tell, just say it. But it's a good idea. But, it, but it's kind of like this. Married couples, imagine this. Imagine that it's your anniversary. And so, guys, 
I mean, you're going to go all out. You're just going to show your wife how much you love her. And so you, you, you go all out. You plan everything. You plan this incredibly romantic weekend. Guys, this might be a good place to take notes if you want to take notes. But you plan this incredibly uh, romantic weekend. And you, you do everything. You know, you're going to get away for a, for a weekend. And so you um, make arrangements for the kids. And, and you, um, you, know, you, you make reservations at a nice hotel hotel and you 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 think about what's her favorite restaurant and so you make a reservation there and you know not a rib joint or a sports bar where you can watch the game but you go all out and make reservations at one of those frou-frou restaurants you know where they serve little tiny portions and charge a whole bunch of money and and, and you just you just go all out man because it's all about her you plan all of her favorite things, whatever those things might be. And then, and then imagine, you know, that you're sitting at this restaurant and you, after a day of shopping or a romantic walk or whatever it is that she likes to do and you're ready to go back to the hotel and your wife looks deep into your eyes and she says, honey, thank you so much for everything that you did today. It was so special. And I know you didn't have to do it. It means so much. And you look her back in the eyes and see, you say, well, yeah, I did kind of have to do it. I mean, I didn't want to, but I'm your husband. It's my job, so I kind of had to do it. Talk about a mood killer. I mean, the rest of the evening probably would not go the way that you had planned it going. Why? Because what we long for more than anything else, what we long to hear is not that, that I'm, I'm doing this out of duty, but instead I'm doing this out of delight for you. I'm doing this out of how much I love you. You see, this is the difference between duty and delight. And this is what is at the core of what Jesus is trying to help us understand. That when we obey God, that we should do it not just out of duty, but, but we should do it out of joy. We, we obey not because we have to or somebody's twisting our arm or, or we do it because this is the only means in which we can get what we want. But instead we do it because we have this kind of relationship with Jesus where we know he only wants what's best for us and he ultimately knows what's going to bring us joy. And so, of course, why wouldn't we obey him? And so the Pharisees come to Jesus. This is what's going on right here. And, and they come to him and they say, and, and Jesus says to him, he says, to them, you're missing it. They say, you're not following the rules. And he says, you're missing it. And in verse 8, I want to hone in on this because this is the reason that he gives them as to why he quotes Isaiah. He says, these people, he looks at them and he says, these people, I imagine in my mind, he points his fingers at the Pharisees. He doesn't back down. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Then in verse 9, he says this, he says, they worship me in vain. Because their teaching are but rules taught by men. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, and this is the big idea of what we're talking about this morning, is he says, understand that there is a heart condition, a spiritual heart condition, where you can do all of the right things, 
You, you can say all of these good things about God. You can talk right and you can act right. But in the end, you have absolutely no relationship with him. This is a real spiritual condition. And it's not only possible, but unfortunately, it happens all the time where people live in this space where, you know, you do all of the right stuff outwardly. You go to, you go to church every Sunday. You put money in the offering. You raise your hands when you sing. You, you do all of these good things, and you say all of the right things. I mean, you can quote the Bible, but the truth is that your heart is far from God. And so what Jesus is saying is so important. What he's asking is, what is in your heart? This is what's important. What is in your heart? In fact, in verse 9, Jesus again points to the Pharisees and he says, these guys worship me in vain because their whole focus is on their teachings, their rules, which are created by men. And then in verse 10, I love this, because Jesus calls all the people to him it says and he called the people to him in fact if you've got your bibles with you this morning or your bible apps i'd encourage you to underline or highlight that portion of scripture and he called the people to him because this is the primary objective of jesus ministry this is what Jesus was all about. We need to understand this, that Jesus doesn't simply call people to a religion. What he calls people to is himself. I want you to understand that Jesus didn't suffer and die on a cross just so that he could, he could call us to some sort of, of behaviors or rituals or traditions or rules. That's not why Jesus gave his life. No, the whole, the whole reason that Jesus came was to let the world know that what God wants more than anything, what he wants, what he wants more than your performance, more than your perfection, more than your platitudes, is he just wants a relationship with you. This is good preaching. This is why Jesus came. He wants a relationship with you, a relationship that is not built on what you can do for him, but a relationship that is built on what he already did for you. And so he called the people to him. And he's still calling people to him. That's still what he does. He called the people to him and he said, hear and understand. And then in verse 11, he, he speaks in the, the form of a parable. This is the parable part of the story. He says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. You see, the Pharisees had bought into this belief that relationship with God was all about doing things like eating the right foods, washing their hands in a specific way, doing uh, and not doing certain things on the Sabbath. That's, that's what they had just called Jesus out on. Jesus, you're not following the rules. And Jesus blows all of this up. He says, no, it's not about what you put into a person's body that's going to make them unclean. You have to understand, there is something much deeper than that. This is really important. 
Because what Jesus is doing is he's, he's calling out this thinking that, that somehow the connection to God, the way, that, the, the way that we solve all of the problems in the world is if we could just clean up everything out there. That if we just could clean up everything out there, then everything, all, every problem would be solved, everything would be okay. That's what they believed. That all the problems in the world would be dealt with if we could just keep all of these rules. In fact, this belief went so far that some of them actually believed that if everybody could keep all of the rules, and there were like 600 and some of these rules, and they believed that if everybody could keep all of these rules for two Sabbaths in a row, then what would happen is, is the Messiah would be obligated to come because of their goodness. That they would actually obligate God to do what they wanted him to do because of what they did. And that's where this belief was. And so, uh, you know, again, as we, we look at this from our modern day perspective, we may be tempted to think, you know, how silly. How, how silly to believe that hand washing could be the solution to solving all the problems of the world. Because they believed when the Messiah came, he would set everything right, and they would be blessed, and they would prosper, and everything in their world would be perfect. And so, you know, how, but how silly to believe that. Really? Come on, let's be honest. It's so easy for us to fall into that, that same trap. I mean, you know, when we, we look at all of the problems that exist in our world today, and we, we see things like, you know, we see the moral decline of America, and we see the continued racial divide, and we see the devaluation and the disintegration of the family, and we see things like divorce and abuse and addiction and poverty and racism and abortion, and we see all of these external problems that need to be fixed. And there's a temptation even for good, well-meaning Christian people to fall into the trap of thinking, man, if we could just put the right rules in place, if we could just put the right rulers in place, if we could just get the right people elected, if we could just create the right laws, if we could just do all that, then we could fix all of this mess. And Jesus is saying to them and he's saying to us, guys, that philosophy will never work. It never has worked and it never will work because when your focus is on the symptoms of the problem and not the heart of the problem, you can never really remedy the problem. So does that mean we shouldn't have righteous laws? Of course we should. But we have to understand, according to Paul, that, that what the law was intended to do was it was intended to expose our inability to keep the law, that we just can't do it. But Paul goes on to say that what the law could not do for us, Jesus Christ did for us through his death and resurrection. You see, what we really need, more than behavior modification on the outside, what we really need is regeneration on the inside. We need to understand that what Jesus bled and died for was not just to make bad people good. He died to make dead people live. He died to transform us. He died to change us. It's about new creation. 
And so Jesus says, he says, it's not about the rules. The, the problem isn't what goes into a man. The problem is what's already in a man. <laughs> Skip down to verse 17. So the disciples come to Jesus and they ask the question that they tend to ask a lot whenever Jesus tells a story. This time it's Peter and he says, hey Jesus, explain this parable to us. And I love Jesus' response. Jesus in verse 16 says, are you so dull? <laughs> in other words, Jesus is like, man, you guys have been with me. You've heard me talk about this stuff. You've watched the way that I live my life and, and you still don't get it. In verse 17, Jesus says, Do you not see that what, whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness and slander. Jesus says, these are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus says, don't ever forget what matters. It's not all of the surface level stuff. What really matters is what is in your heart. You see, the Pharisees had it all wrong. They're saying, you know, when we look around at all the problems in the world, there has to be a solution. Oh, the solution is let's create an external uh, structure that forces people, mandates people to do what's right. And come on, again, we're not alone. We sometimes think the same thing. And so these Pharisees, it's not that they were necessarily bad guys. They were just misled. They were misguided. They're saying, you know, we look around at all the problems in the world, you know, addiction, violence, hatred, selfishness, abuse. And they're saying, man, we look at all that and, and things are wicked. Mankind is wicked. And they're right. Humankind is wicked. And Jesus says, in order to truly deal with the issue, we have to answer the real question. The real question is not, what are they doing? The real question is, why? Why do people do what they do? Why is there so much wickedness? What, what, that's the, the par what the parable is really dealing with is, why do we have evil thoughts? Why do we murder? Why do we steal? Why is it that we cheat on our spouses? Why do we slander? Why do we talk behind each other's backs? Why do we lie to keep up appearances? Why is any of that corruption in this room? Why? Why? And the Pharisees answer to that that question with what they saw as the problem, they said, the answer is control everybody's behavior. And Jesus says, no, because all you're doing is you're dealing with the symptom of a greater problem. you got to get underneath the behavior because that behavior comes from somewhere. No, no one just lies out of nothing. They lie from a place. No one just steals, they steal from a place. No one just commits adultery, they commit adultery from a place. And, and what's that place? Jesus says that place is inside of us. It is our heart. 
three times in this text. He says, it's the cardia in the Greek. It's the heart. It's the heart. It's the heart. Now, um, the real difference here between what the Pharisees uh, were thinking and what Jesus was teaching, the real difference between the Pharisees and Jesus, the real difference is actually the difference between religion and the gospel is this, is that religion says go after their actions, change their actions, change their behavior, focus on the behavior, while the gospel says no, go after the heart. Go, go, go after the heart. The heart is what I'm concerned about. And when Jesus talks about the heart, just for clarification, you know, he's not talking about the muscle in our chest that pumps blood through our bodies. What he's talking about, and they fully would have understood this, is in their context, the heart was considered to be the center of the affections. It was the emotions. It was where the desires came for and the longings, the longing of our heart. And what Jesus recognizes is that as human beings, that what drives us more than anything else is ultimately love. In fact, what we wind up doing in our lives ultimately revolves around and is born out of what we love most, what our desires are, what our longings are. And what Jesus recognized is that as human beings, what drives us more than anything else, in fact, ultimately, whatever it is that we wind up doing in our, in our lives, it is born out of that, that, that place in our lives, our heart, our longings, our desire. And so the big difference between the Pharisees and Jesus, which, by the way, again, is the big difference between religion and the gospel, Religion says the most important thing you can do, in fact, the entire reason that you're here on earth is to get to a place where you can behave properly. While the gospel says what you're here for is you're here for love. Religion says, you know, that the whole goal of the whole thing, the reason why you're here is if you can just behave in a certain way. Stop lying, stop cheating, stop murdering, stop sleeping around, stop cussing, stop smoking, stop drinking, and that's the solution. While the gospel, on the other hand, says, no, the most important thing that you can do, the entire reason that you're here on this planet is for love. First of all, to be loved by God and to love him back, and then secondly, to be a reflection of his love to the people that you come in contact with you see the difference now understand this god isn't simply interested in changing what you do what he really wants is he wants to change what you want to do i'm going to say that again what god is not interested in is simply changing what you do he wants to change what you want to do what you love because inevitably what you love will impact what you do i'm afraid even in the church way too often we get this wrong because 
you know, in, in, in our attempt to point people towards Jesus or help them grow in their relationship with Jesus, we, we tend to immediately, the first place that we go is we focus on the intellect. You know, if we can just get you more information, if we can, you know, have this class or, or if we can get you to read this book, if we can get you to learn this stuff. And don't get me wrong, I love learning stuff. I take as many classes as I can possibly take. I read as many books as I possibly can read. And so there's nothing wrong with that. But we have to understand that as human beings, we are more than just cerebral. You see, the, way more than just allowing Jesus into our brains. He wants us to uh, allow him to get into our heart. Because when we allow Jesus into our hearts, that's when he'll begin to transform us. To, to the point that, you know, the things that you used to love, all of a sudden they don't have the attraction that they had anymore. And then the things that we used to be bound up by, all of a sudden we're not bound up by those things anymore. And the things that we had absolutely no interest in at one point in our life, all of a sudden that we're drawn to those things. Why? Because the love of Jesus is transformative. I love this quote from a French novelist whose name I cannot pronounce. He says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and assign them tasks in the work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. In other words, if you really want to draw people in, don't, don't just give them, these are the tasks, everything, here's the list of things, these, here's your list of do's, here's your list of don'ts, go be Christians. But what they're saying is that we are drawn, when we are drawn to the love of Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden that begins to transform our lives. A couple of weeks ago, it's been maybe three or four weeks ago, you remember when we had um, Josh here and spoke to us. One of the things I love about his story is, is here's a kid who's raised in a home where at six years old, it's normal to see parents, you know, uh, dividing up drugs on the table to go out and sell. A, a life of it's normal to see uh, people who, who, the way that you get ahead is by stealing from this person. And, you know, uh, stealing cars was his thing. Carrying a weapon, running with guns is his thing. But he had this encounter with Jesus. Fell in love with Jesus. And, and, you know, nobody had to come to him and say, Josh, you know, he's a meth addict. Josh, you got to quit using meth. If you're going to be a Christian, you got to quit using meth. you got to stop smoking weed. you got to change the way that you talk. you got to change all of these. Here's everything that's wrong with you. Fix it. He can't. But I tell you what, when you fall in love with Jesus... And, and Josh, I love this story because he said, you know, all of a sudden Jesus says, you know, I love you and I've got more for you. And uh, my, your, your life is more than just being addicted to meth. But I'm addicted to it. What do I do? Let me help you. I, I love you and your life is more than just smoking weed and, and I want to help you. I can't. What, what do I do? Let me help you. <laughs> You see, when the love of Jesus gets into our hearts and we begin to recognize that, he begins to change things in us. It's not from the outside in, it's from the inside out. And I really think that the question for all of us is where is our heart? In fact, maybe as a way to evaluate this is, is that, you know, um, 
is, do I have this deep longing for Jesus, more of Jesus? Is Jesus really what I love? And does that longing for him impact what I do? Even when nobody's looking. In other words, in other words, when, when you're completely in the dark, do you still have a relationship with God or not? In fact, I think that's a good question for all of us. Not, you know, not do I check all of the boxes? Do I go to church on a regular basis? Do I give financially? You know, I don't cuss, I don't lie, I don't watch porn. No, the real question is, am I in love with Jesus? Does he have my heart? In other words, is this thing authentic or not? Like, if my wife, who's really into this, didn't bring me here, would I still come? Would it still be part of my life? And would it be a part of my life that I actually delight in? <laughs> or if my husband wasn't so excited about Jesus, and if, if he didn't pray with me, would I still spend time with Jesus all by myself? And would I delight in that? When, when it's just me and nobody watching, is this thing so real? That, that, you know, I don't just lift my hands when I sing in church and in worship, that I actually worship Jesus when nobody's around and nobody's watching. Does Jesus still get the same love and affection when nobody's watching? You see, there may be a whole bunch of opinions about Jesus, but at the end of the day, the question of Jesus is always, who am I to you? Who do you say that I am to you? This is the crazy, scary question that Jesus asked the disciples in Mark chapter 8. He, he, he looks at the disciples and he says, who does everybody say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. And then Jesus looks them in the eye and he asks this scary, scary, crazy question. He says, yeah, but what about you? The important thing is, who do you say that I am? In other words, what Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter what your grandma thinks, it doesn't matter what your husband thinks, or what your kids thinks, what really matters is, who am I to you? Because at the end of the day, it's going to be me, and it's going to be you. Jesus says, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out, it's, it's our heart, it's our affections, our delight. And so the question I have for you this morning is, what is in your heart? In other words, what do you take delight in? What, what do you hunger for? What do you want more than anything else? Him or everything else? Him or something else? And, and that's the point. At the end of the day, we have to know, who is it, what is it that I long for? Do you long for God? Let's jump back up to verse 12, and then we're going to be done. The disciples came to Jesus, and Jesus has said all this, and they said, uh, Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees are offended? Um, you, you kind of offended these guys, and, 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 and Jesus answers them. He says this, he says, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides, speaking of the Pharisees. And if the blind lead the blind, both of you will fall in the pit. And so Jesus says, you know what, so what? The Pharisees are offended. 
that their entire world is wrapped around externals. And Jesus says, no, we've got to get this right. Those guys are hypocrites. In the Greek, it's a word that means play actors. They're, They're playing a part. It's not real. Jesus says they've got it all wrong. They think that that they can control things from the outside, and if they control the outside, it'll fix the problem on the inside, when the reality is, is they just simply need to let me deal with the inside, and the outside will take care of itself. And so Jesus calls them out, and they're offended, and the disciples are like, Jesus, you offended these guys, and Jesus turns to them and says, leave them alone. And stop paying attention to them. Stop listening to them. And as I read that, here's what I was sensing is that there are people in this room. There are people who are watching online that need to hear, if you're serious about following Jesus, there are people that you need to stop listening to. There are voices that you need to quit listening to. There are people and voices and institutions and entities that you need to stop allowing to influence you. In fact, there may even be people that you need to stop hanging around with. You need to let them alone because they are blind guides who rather than leading you closer to Jesus are leading you away from Jesus. And ultimately, they are going to cause you to fall over the edge. Listen, one of the most important things in life is that we surround ourselves with people who are going to help us get to the goal that we intend to get at. And one of the worst things that we can do is continually put ourselves around unhealthy people who are continually trying to pull us away from Jesus. And at some point in our lives, there comes a point where we have to look at certain people and say, I have to let them alone. They have no desire to follow Jesus. In fact, they want everything but Jesus. And at least for right now, they have become blind guides. And Jesus says, man, you got to let these blind guides go. And then he gives them this image that I'll leave you with. And he says, they are blind guides. And he says, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. This is similar to what we talked about last week. If you remember, there, there are wheat and there are weeds. And every plant that the heavenly Father has not planted, Jesus says, is going to be rooted up and thrown into the fire. Only what is planted by the Father, that's what's going to last. And so here's the question on the table. Is your life rooted in an idea, or a tradition, or an institution? Is it rooted in this church? Is your life rooted in something which on the surface may look like Christianity? Or is your life rooted in Jesus and Jesus alone? We used to sing that song, On Christ the Solid Rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is your life rooted in Jesus or something else. As you look at your life, and for those of you who call yourselves Christians, is it centered around what you do here? 
Is, is it centered around a group of people or a building, or is it centered around continually being in the presence of a living, breathing, loving Jesus Christ? Jesus says that the core relationship of your life, whether you really stay planted at the end, it's going to be, be determined on what is in your heart. What have you based this whole thing on? An ideology or in Jesus? Do you know him? Or do you spend more time listening to people talk about him? Do you know him? Do you know him personally? Do you love being with him? Do you love letting him love on you? If not, you need to know that's what Jesus came to offer. Which, which by the way, is way better than any cheap counterfeit form of Christianity. And so if you've never experienced that kind of relationship with Jesus, where it's just about letting him love you and you love him, and then allowing him to do the work in your life that he wants to do, to make you into the person that he designed you to be, and that's the invitation this morning. Why not? I'm telling you, there's no better way to live. And so if you want to make that step this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that with every head bowed and every eye closed. And for those of you who are watching online, I encourage you, if the Holy Spirit is pulling at your heart, then I want to just pray this prayer with you and in the quietness of your own heart, just pray something like this. Jesus, if this is true, then that's what I want. Maybe my whole life I've thought that church was about a bunch of, you know, if, if you just do all the do's and don't do all the don'ts, then those are the only people who are going to make it. And Jesus, today I understand that what you're really interested in is my heart. All that other stuff will fall into line when I give you my heart. I just fall in love with you, and so I want to do that today, Jesus. I give you my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Make me your child. Be my perfect father. Help me to follow you. This morning, there may be some who are here or watching online, and if the truth were to be told that you've been in the church for a long time, and the reality is that it's been more about checking the boxes and following the traditions and doing the, all the do's and don't doing all the do, don'ts, and the truth is your heart has drifted. You've lost your first love. This morning, Jesus is calling you back, and he's saying, what I really want more than anything else is not what you can do for me, but I want you just to receive who I am and what I've done for you, and I want to just live in this, this closeness, this love relationship with you. So, Father, this morning, for those of us who have maybe this morning you've just revealed, we've kind of drifted from what you really called us to. We repent, we, we turn back, and we run to you.
We're thankful that you're a father who we can run to over and over and over and over again. You're always there to receive us. You love us so much. So Jesus, would you, would you forgive us for the times we make following you about anything else other than just loving you and letting you love us? We want to let you love on us today. So I pray that you'd help us to do that. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you, you prayed either of those prayers this morning, if you're watching online, I want to encourage you, just let Carly know. We'd love to just kind of walk beside you and just help you grow and walk in that relationship any way you can. If you're here today, grab one of the pastors after the service, Brad or Brian or myself. And last week we had somebody, one of the best parts of being out in the lobby is somebody came up and said, you said come talk to you, I did it. <laughs> and we celebrate that. We want to get you a Bible if you don't have a Bible and a little devotional to help get you started. And so we encourage you to do that. It's the best decision that you'll ever make. It'll change your life. And so we celebrate that with you today. Brian, help us close things out.